Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 6 um, of the Drunken Storyteller. So, um, as I was just mumbling about, I am a few days late. I was not intending to do this on a weekly basis, but it's kind of gone on to a weekly basis thing. Um, which, well, gives me something to do in the evenings. I imagine when lockdown ends and I'm actually back in the office and doing things outside of my like really small apartment, this won't happen weekly. But at the moment, it's happening weekly, or as close to weekly as I can get. But I'm um, I'm doing this on Friday instead of Wednesday, um, as life kind of caught up to me this week a little bit. A little bit of stress with uni work and stuff, but well, that's all over, and I've actually had a good Thursday and Friday. So, anyway, enough of my life, enough of my moaning and ranting. Um, last episode, I mentioned that I might do something on Giants this episode uh obviously if you've seen the title of this episode that's not what i've done i'm not aware of any giants in the city of prague but yeah no i'm not doing i'm not doing giants i will probably do that next episode in fact i will do that next episode i just trying to find something that is not kind of european based i suppose um as 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 i say when i do these things i want to look at things that are not the most well-known stories but this this i'm going to do a well-known story kind of today on this um thing but i want to kind of with the the giant stuff i don't want to do the british isles and i don't want to do the viking stuff they're they're like the the well-known stuff so you've got gog magog and you've got fimir and things like that and and shooter from the the viking law and i don't really want to look into those and there's load in northern ireland and stuff as well but i want to go beyond that and look at other countries so um, i need to look at that into a bit more before i do that so yes, um, today, as you can see, um, I'm going to be talking about a place and some of the folklore and legends and, and history. I'm going to do a bit of hist- uh, a bit of a history lesson uh, onto this place, uh, and that is that is Prague. Um, it's like my most favourite city in the world. Absolutely love it. Been many times, and I desperately want to go again. Um, I'd love to go in the winter um, on a day when it's actually covered in snow. There's a guy on YouTube I watch called the the Honest Guide, and he's the best. And I'm watching his videos every week, and there's no snow in there at the moment, so I don't want to go. But I do want to go because I love Prague, and it's amazing. And you should all go, especially after you hear all these 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 little things that I'm going to tell you. Um, but yeah, it's a deeply historic city. Uh, it's filled with loads of old buildings, ornate stuff you can see. If you're watching the video, um, that's the old town hall at Charles Square. Um, just around the corner from here, I think even actually on the side, you can kind of see it, is the astronomical clock. Um, just away from here, if you turn around and walk back, you've got Charles Bridge, um, you've got the Jewish Quarter, you've got the castle up on top of the hill. Um, there's a lot of things in the city that I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to. There's St. Vitus Cathedral as well, and it's absolutely beautiful and stunning, and there's so much history behind it. Um um, but yeah, so because I'm talking about Prague and Char- Prague, Charg, um, because Prague does some amazing beers, I've actually got a, a beer from Prague, Stara Pramen. Um, it's a really nice little beer. 
Um, Budvar is another good one from the Czech Republic as well. Not Budweiser, Budvar. Don't drink Budweiser, Budweiser's crap. So yeah, cool. Um, but the first thing that I'm going to kind of talk about today, um, in fact, I'm kind of doing this a little bit differently to what I originally said that I was going to make this podcast. <laughs> and there was me getting drunk and telling stories. I'm not actually going to tell a story today. Um, I'm going to kind of more discuss a story and kind of discuss the roots of it and kind of give little hints of it. So it is kind of, there is a bit of kind of the telling of the story, but it's more of a discussive telling of the story rather than a, I've written something and turned it into utter crap. I'm going to just talk about it and make it sound utter crap instead. So enjoy. And this is probably one of the most famous folk tales and folklore to actually come out of Prague. This, this first bit. Um, and it's a wonderful wonderful thing that has kind of spread beyond um, its original roots within Jewish folklore and mysticism and stuff and so yeah it is a Jewish folktale and it's the the tale and the the mythology of the golem of Prague Um, there are actually many 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 tales if you kind of look into it Um, I spent most of this afternoon writing this episode instead of working but shh don't tell my supervisor um yeah so i spent most of this afternoon kind of looking into this and i just kind of there's reams of stuff on the 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 golem of prague so i'm just going to give you a bit of a an overview um and a little bit of an info on it which is it's one of the reasons why i didn't do a story on it because i just couldn't choose which one to talk about so yeah um they all have various aspects and themes to them as well so um the golem of prague first appeared um in some germanic writings in the first half of the 19th century like around 1840 or something like that as we know that the victorians were massive folklorists and so we're seeing here that there's also some massive german folklorists gathering up the tales and stuff as well so um, before I actually look into kind of the golem of Prague itself, uh, let's have a little bit of a talk about what a golem actually is. So a golem comes from, as I said, Jewish folklore, and it is an anthropomorphic creature made from inanimate materials, usually clay or mud, but there are examples in places where they're made of stone or wood, which I didn't know and I found quite interesting. So anyway, uh, where was I? Yeah. do 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 yeah, so they, um, as I say, there were some that uh, have been made of wood and stone. And then these inanimate ob- uh, materials are animated in some form. Um, the word golem comes from a Yiddish word, goilem, and then, which was then became a Hebrew word, golem, and that's where we kind of get it from. Its meaning, uh, me, it, its meaning means... Its meaning is a shapeless mass or amorphous unformed material. So slightly different to kind of what we see as now as an animated lump of clay uh, with a anthropomorphic form. Apparently it comes from something that has no form um, and is inanimate. Um, According to uh, according to what according to time not Time magazine. According to Moment magazine, the golem is a highly mutable metaphor with seemingly limitless symbolism. It can be a victim or villain, Jew or non-Jew, man or woman, or sometimes both. Over the centuries, it has been used to connotate war, community, isolation, hope and despair. And yeah, when you kind of look through the different tales of, especially the golem of Prague, 
it goes through different phases and depending on which source you look at sometimes it's very very nice and and really happy and protective other times it goes on murderous rampages um and kind of destroys things and just goes psychotic so even within one single formation of the golem we see different aspects of this creature um, so the oldest stories of golems uh, come from Jewish folklore, uh, and in some instances, uh, we even see Adam being cited as the first golem. So this is Adam as in Adam and Eve, uh, as he was formed from dust and kneaded into a shapeless husk. So the very first human um, is a golem, and if you kind of take that ideology, does that mean we're like all children of golem and we're all like, baby golems running around and we're actually all creatures made of clay Ooh. but no 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 we're not uh we're all made of stardust and i'm not going to get into that conversation uh i'm a astrophysicist so stardust we're all made of stars you're all stars you're all lovely people and you're all stars in my eyes as well those three people who listen to the podcast anyway sidetracks uh <laughs> Okay, so yes, we've um, we know that um, they're made from in this inanimate material materials. So, for example, clay. Um, how how do these materials then become a golem and life or animated? I should say. Um, there's a couple of ways that this can happen, um, and it kind of depends again on what sources you read. But most of them most of them refer to two kind of main ways that you can form uh, or animate the golem itself now apparently um, me not being an expert on this or ever having read anything on jewish mysticism there is no recorded record of any form of ritualistic practices to create a golem all that we know is from folk tales and folklore um, so there is no study of the practices or research into the practices of creating golem. So, uh, as I say, apparently, um, I've not looked into it, but a lot of the sources that I looked at, when they talk about golems, uh, there's no actual written down, this is how you do it. So, the, the two most common ways that you can animate a golem. The first is with something uh, known as a shem. Uh, this is a ritualistic formation of a he couple of Hebrew letters um, and generally forms one of the names for God uh, in Hebrew. This is then placed in the mouth or the forehead of the golem and it animates the, the clay and, and gives it like life, so to speak. Uh, the second is by inscribing certain Hebrew words and letters across the forehead. Um, and in the Brothers Grimm tales where they talk about golems, this is the one that they use. So we, we see it across multiple different sources, whether it's the, the Jewish folklore or in actual folklore um, and folklore collections like the Grimm, Grimm Brothers. Um, one of these words is, um, I'm going to read it in a very bland English way and is probably not pronounced like this, but is emet, E-M-E-T, and apparently it means truth. So they would, they'd write Emmet in Hebrew, um, not in English, uh, across the, the, the forehead. Uh, and the way to deactivate the rabbi, you would remove the Aleph uh, symbol 
or the Aleph letter in Emmet, changing the word from truth to the meaning of death or dead, and that would deactivate that golem. The one which had the, the Shem in its mouth, you just remove the Shem from its mouth, and that would, uh, would turn it off, I suppose. Turn it off, deactivate it. So yeah, uh, there's a little bit of a kind of background into a little bit of golem knowledge and how, how you can create one if you ever want to go and get a load of mud out of a riverbank and, and make a animated clay man. So yeah, anyway, right, let's go back to uh, the golem of Prague. So as I mentioned before, the story first appears around the 1840s in German, in some German texts. Uh, though there are people who claim to have seen evidence of it appearing before this, um, but they never produced this evidence. And most people and most scholars apparently take this as a bit of a hoax. So uh, if you see anybody claiming that the golems, the golem of Prague existed before 18, about 1840s, I think it was 1837 or something like that, uh, they're lying. But yeah, so the story goes that in the 16th century in Prague, a rabbi... Excuse me. I'm breathing a lot for some reason and it's causing me a lot of gas. Not something you really wanted to know, really, is it? Um, I do apologise. <laughs> it's a Friday, it's the end of the week, it's all gone sideways. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I will... I will I will read this. The story goes that in the 16th century in Prague, a rabbi by the name of Judah Loben Bezalel, also known as the Maharalel, no, Maharal, created a golem from the clay of the banks of the Vitkava River. The Vitkava River is the main river that runs through the city of Prague. If you've seen pictures of the Charles Bridge, it's the, the river that that goes over. Um, and uh, the Mahar, um, I am going to fuck this up so many times, the Maharal uh, brought it to life through rituals and incantations and putting a Shem in its mouth uh, to defend the Jews of the cities from attacks and pogroms. Pogroms being specifically violent protests and attacks upon a group of religious people, specifically Jews. I had to look that one up. My my knowledge of words is not very good. Uh, so I do apologise. Um, I'm not very literate. Blame the sciences. So he... So the, the kind of story it goes, it's like he and his two friends... And two of his friends shaped the clay that they got from the river into the shape of a man. Um, the first friend circled the, the golem seven times reciting holy words and it began to glow the second man did the same uh, and the glow turned into um, water vapor or steam depending on upon the source uh, the maharal uh, or the rabbi then circled the, the golem seven times and all three cried out together and god blew the breath of life into his nostrils uh, this woke up the golem and he opened his eyes Hello, I'm awake. So the golem was said to have great strength and uh, the ability to vanish. Like, just go ping and disappear. Which is quite impressive for a massive clay beast. But it was also, un unfortunately, it was mute. 
it could hear and it could see what was going on, but it it was unable to speak. And we see this quite a lot actually within a lot of other golem myths and stories that they can't communicate vocally. Um, so they have to kind of find other ways unless um, the the rabbi um, has given them a shem or something that actually gives them the power of speech. They have to be specifically given the power of speech. But yeah, so every Friday, uh, Rabbi Lowe um, would remove the shem from the golem's mouth uh, before the Sabbath would begin on the Saturday. Uh, so now, uh, the Sabbath in most Abrahamic religions, this is something I actually looked up because I thought this was on a Sunday. Um, so I looked it up. The Sabbath is on is most... Ugh, words the sabbat in most abrahamic religions have their sabbat oh, i don't know what i've written here i shouldn't write things when i'm not paying attention the sabbat in most abrahamic religions is is on a saturday there you go i've added an extra couple of sentences in there so the sabbat in most abrahamic religions is on a saturday though the modern church uh, and modern times have kind of combined the idea of the sabbat which is the rest day uh, with a communal worship day um, on a Sunday. So you've kind of technically Saturday is still the Sabbath, but it's kind of shifted to Sunday through convenience of the modern society. Um, but yeah, so he would remove the Shem, allowing the Golem to rest on the Sabbath, uh, as, as was and is kind of customary within the, the Jewish religion. Uh, so there are many specific tales that relate to the Prague, the Prague of Golem, the Golem of Prague. This is going so well, and this is probably why I shouldn't be recording this episode. Woo. Yeah, so there are many tales of the Golem of Prague and its feats. Uh, some have it, as I was saying before, it has it as a kind, protective creature. Others have it going off on murderous rampages because... Um, they killed its friend or something um but it basically always project protects the the jewish community in prague um there is one story uh, that i thought was kind of interesting to show kind of the 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 power not so much the power but the kindness of this massive creature um there's a story where the rabbi was set up for the murder of a girl However, the girl was was actually missing, um, and so there was there was no body and there was no murder committed. But um, the rabbi and a friend of his was framed for the murder, and the the excuses that they that, that were kind of flown around was that he was apparently wanted to drain the blood of the girl and use it to make matzah, uh, a kind of bread. But obviously, Rabbi Lowe was like, "Yeah, no, 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 I didn't do this. This this wasn't me. You're all you're all mental. Don't don't accuse me of doing this stuff." So he, he got the golem, whispered in his ear, and sent him off to sent the golem off to find the girl, and bring her back. Um, which, being the good golem he was, he did do this. He went out and he, he found the girl and he brought it back. And the rabbi and his friend were cleared of murder, and all other weird, nasty stuff. We see things like that happening, and yeah, he, he, he was he walked around and protected the community and things as well. So eventually, the the rabbi died and. The golem is. There are many ways that they, that in different stories of how the golem stopped being the golem. Some say that they removed the the shem and it fell to pieces. Others say 
they performed the the ritual backwards to kind of turn it off and things so um but the legends do state that the golem still lies in the attic of, of the maharal's synagogue uh, and will return one day to protect the jews of prague once again now there is a name for this this synagogue um i think it's the old and new synagogue but there's another name for it it is still a synagogue in prague in the jewish quarter and you can visit it um, the attic is closed off to the public uh, in 18, I think, oh, I put 1993, but I think it's actually 1883. Um, the synagogue was actually renovated and they went into the attic and, and obviously there was no golem there and there was no clay statue there and there were lots of legends as to why it wasn't there, like it was stolen, it was buried elsewhere and things like that and there's there's a bit of connotations with connections with the Nazis as well. Um, which is kind of sad, as as it says, it was like Arthur is meant to come come back and protect the the Britons, the Golem is meant to come back and protect the the Jews of Prague, and as unfortunately we saw during uh, the Second World War, obviously that didn't unfortunately happen. It would have been brilliant if it did, but if you do if you do ever go to go to Prague, there is the Jewish quarter, and it's a beautiful quarter of Prague, and there is a really heartbreaking but absolutely fantastic memorial to to the jewish community and there's a absolutely beautiful um and haunting i suppose memorial to all the millions of jews who lost their lives during the second world war and it is it is it's hard it's a hard visit but it is definitely worth it but yeah um rather than dwelling on um unfortunately the sad sad aspects of uh, some of the Prague's history let's let's kind of finish there with the golem of Prague so yeah there are um as I was saying earlier again many other tales of golems from around Europe so the Brothers Grimm do talk of them and there are tales from Poland and Lithuania as well and we do see them pop up all over modern RP, modern modern pop culture pop culture Modern pop culture, pop culture, they're the same thing, I think. I don't know, whatever. Uh, yeah, so we see them over pop culture in like RPGs and fantasy novels as well. Um, and one of my favourite is Chem from Feet of Clay uh, by the late, great Terry Pratchett, who manages to gain free will. Woo! Uh, but we won't still spoil that story. But I think Chem comes from the name of one of the golems from Poland and is actually another famous uh, golem story. But yeah, go go read Terry Pratchett. Go read all of Terry Pratchett, except the first two books. Don't read The Light Fantastic and Colour and Magic, because they're a bit pants. But read the rest of them. Feet of Clay is good. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll come back one day and actually delve more into golems um, and different stories from different parts of Europe, and maybe see if there's any analogues from other other regions of the world because that could be kind of cool like awesomes awesomes i really can't do words today but yeah uh, golems are cool uh, and they're really interesting and fascinating um folklore so yeah i will I, i'll i'll probably delve into them again at some point later but there's so many other things that i want to look at as well so yeah that's the end of my little ramble about how we have golems in prague and like golems in general and how much coolness there is with that and I'll, I'll definitely as i say delve into that again at some point 
But now I'm going to kind of look at some other aspects of Prague and kind of other things that go on in there and a little bit of the history of Prague because there's some really fucked up history in Prague that's amazing. So yeah, a bit of a brief overview here. Now Prague is kind of situated central Europe, I suppose. It's literally like between um, between Germany, Slovakia, Hungary, and Austria, and Switzerland, and France. And it's it's really easy to get to Prague from a lot of different countries. So it has quite an interesting history as a result. So because it was a, um, at one point it was an epicenter of politics and trade. Um, connotations with the Holy Roman Empire and all sorts of religious stuff going on there. More recent history, so a quick overview of more recent history um, that some people might be aware of or kind of have heard of and, and maybe think of, of the name the Czech Republic. Um, Prague is the capital of the Czech Republic uh, and not Czechoslovakia. Uh, now, in 1989, uh, I can't remember the exact dates off the top of my head, uh, November 17th, I think, 1989, they had what was known as the Velvet Revolution, which was a very, very peaceful uh, revolution to a uh, month-long revolution and protests within the city centre of Prague to kind of protest the, the communist regime that was imposed upon them by the USSR. Uh, as a result of this protest, they split from the USSR and became their own country, Czechoslovakia. And about three years later, only three years later, um, there was a split between the, the Czech part of the country and the Slovakian part of the country. And you see this now, the formation of what is the Czech Republic and Slovakia. So kind of a bit of a modern history there. It was all very, very peaceful, and very, very amicable. Um, it basically, uh, the Velvet Revolution basically involved students sitting down in like Charles Square and Westminster Street and stuff and, and not actually being violent or anything. I don't think there was any kind of violence at all involved with that, within that. And then the split between uh, the Czech Republic and Slovakia was just like, yeah, we're just two very different groups of people. Um, we can't really hold a government because we don't hate you, but we just don't want to do your ideas and so they amicably spit and and they're still very very good friends and um i've not yet been to slovakia and i would would love to go um so maybe that's on the books in the in the near or distant future depending upon whether we're allowed to travel beyond our own borders we'll not get into that fuck brexit on to some uh, a slightly grim fact about Prague. So I've done the night. The, I've 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 brought you in nicely there with this kind of like yes, we know how to protest and we know how to get away from all the bad nastiness of what was apparently communism, but really wasn't. Um, and I'm going to bring you to something quite grim, a bit of a grim grim history and grim fact about Prague or Praha, as I've written here, the 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 Czech name for it. So there's a there's a weirdly dark title. Um, occasionally attached to Prague or Praha um, and it's sometimes known as the home of defenestration uh, and so for those of you who don't know what defenestration is it is the act of basically lobbing people out of a window in order to kill them um, and I love the fact that there's a name for this <laughs> it's like there's a name for throwing people out of a window in order to kill them defenestration uh, but yeah, so Prague has had uh, a fair few uh, acts of defenestration, and a couple of them have been rather important on the history of Europe. So 
Whoa, go Prague, you amazingly fucking mental, beautiful city. So yes, the first, uh, um, what's known as the first defenestration, uh, was in 1419. So, like 600 odd years ago, uh, where six, no not six, where seven city council members were hurled to their deaths by the Hussites out of the town hall. And this included like the town leader and the burger and stuff. Um, so there's quite a few important people lobbed out of the window due to a argument between the the, the the citizens of Prague and the Hussites who were, I think, related to Austria. I'm not a historian. I just like folklore. So, so yeah, the Hussites threw them out of the town hall, um, which is a town hall window. It's, it's a pretty... It's not the building, if so if you go onto my YouTube channel, it's not the building that you see behind me. Um, it, there's a different town hall that it was. It's not quite as large, but it's still it's still a fair old drop. Um, and they, yeah, they all died. But it's also said, um, and kind of you get a little bit of folklore here, I don't know whether this is true or not, um, but at the time, King Wenceslas IV died a few days later after hearing the news that his council had just been lobbed out of a, a church. But what this also did is it led it led to uh, the breakout of war between the Hussites and and um, the Crown, um, and this lasted until like fourteen thirty eight. So quite a long war broke out because they decided to lob some people out of a window. Uh, the second major act of lobbing important people, the second major act of lobbing important people out of a window occurred on May the twenty third, sixteen eighteen. Now this is quite an important part of European history. Um, there's like two major wars within the European history that kind of encompasses a lot of Europe, which aren't the First and Second World War. Um, and that's the Thirty Year War and the, the Hundred Year War. But this is this is kind of related to that. So on May 23rd, 1618, we have a Count Yaroslav... I can't actually read what I've written here. Yaroslav Borita of Martinici and Count Willem Slavata of Chum. I apologise about my pronunciation. Yeah, so these two people were, and their secretaries, were thrown out of the second-story window of the Bohemian Chancery in Prague Castle. Um, and also, I think, at the time, it was connected to the St. Vitus Cathedral. Um, and if any of you who know your, your doom metal St. Vitus, uh, it's the band, it's where they got their name from, they got their name from this act of that and I was tempted to call this episode Made of Rats because it's a very obscure reference like it's an Orange Goblin song and Orange Goblin exists because St Vitus inspired them and it's all a bit interwoven and I'm glad I didn't go down that route because none of you would have got it anyway yeah so these two counts and their secretaries were lobbed out of a window this is where we kind of connect it to a little bit of folklore. So it's not just, oh, this is weird fucking mental history. There's a little bit of folklore and folk belief behind this. The They were thrown out the second story window, uh, which I... Th uh, let me see if I've still got the notes somewhere. Give me one second. I don't know if I do. No, I don't. Um, it's, it's not that tall, but it's quite tall. I'd probably say about like 18 to 20, 20 metres I think it was something like maybe 70 feet, I think I saw. I've got my, in my head a seven somewhere, but it's not 70 metres because that's really fucking tall. But yeah, so they were lobbed out of this uh, second floor window. Um, but they all survived somehow. No idea how they survived this this fall. Uh, but the, the folklore kind of states that angels carried them down because 
they were po- they were in the cathedral, and so either Mary or the angels came down and carried them down and protected them. So uh, this is kind of seen as one of the key moments that led up to the Thirty Year War and the, the the fight between the Habsburgs of Austria and the the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church within Europe. Thirty Year War was was a very bloody conflict within Europe um, between kind of different religions and different states, and this was kind of one of the key moments in European history that kicked it off. So. Yeah, anyway, so that's that's kind of a bit of political history with a little bit of folklore attached to it. Let's actually look at some real folklore, I suppose, in a way now. Uh, so we've got a, a story of a talking horse, which is, it's, it's, a, it's a funny little story. It's kind of cute and I kind of like it. It's kind of why I've put it in here. So um, there's, there's, a, there's kind of like a um, possibly a talking horse is buried within the walls of Prague Castle. Well, not Prague Castle. Actually, kind of somewhere else. Um, the old Prague Castle, I should say. Because um, apparently it used to be located on a hilltop on the opposite side of the Vitkava River from where the current castle is. I've written the name down here. I'm going to attempt to pronounce this. I'm going to spell it out and then you can tell me how well I did. So it's spelt V Y S with an upside down V thing above it. I forgot what it's called. E H R A D. Now I do know Hrad. H R A D means castle. So mm, I do know a little bit there. So Visse Hrad. Uh, so Visse Castle. Maybe that's kind of where I'm going with it. But yeah, so many hundreds of years ago in this castle, there was a prince, Krimosi. Krim. Oh, Fuck, more fucking weird names that I probably should have pronounced, uh, practiced before one. Cressomissil. Prince Cressomissil, who was a fucking greedy bastard. He reigned over the land and um, rather than getting the locals to, you know, like go out and work the land and, and get food and and bring him corn and grain and meats and things and give them a little bit of food so that they could live... Nah, him being the psychotic little fucknut that he was, he decided to instead force the locals to abandon their farms and villages and to go to the river, um, the Vitkava River, and uh, pan for silver and gold instead. So the fields lay abandoned and uh, famine loomed over the nation because nobody was getting any food because nobody's fucking working. It just seems like a, such a great idea. Let's have all the gold in the world, but no food, you fucking idiot. However, there was a brave farmer, Hrymir, um, who stood up to the prince, and he actually asked to go work in the field so that the workers could eat, and therefore a live workforce and get the prince more gold. Makes perfect sense. Um, unfortunately, the prince was a bit of a fucknut, uh, and uh, sentenced Hrymir to death. So, yeah, it says a lot about this dickwad. Um, however, he did grant Horimir a, a final wish, which he chose to... Which he chose, um, and that wish was to basically say, I want to ride my beloved steed one more time, my beloved steed Simic, around the castle grounds for one last time. It's like the most important horse to me ever. It's like the greatest thing ever. 
and the prince agreed. Um, he knew of Simic the horse. It was like a powerful workhorse and it was a brilliant horse. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. You, you, you tried your best to try and try and big up your, your fellows and, and, and actually do things for them, even though I don't want you to. Uh, so we did let them did let him do that. And so once seated on Simic's back, Horimir whispered instructions into the horse's ear. The stallion being the great beast that it was gathered all its strength and took an almighty leap over the castle ramparts, landing safely on the other side of the Vitkava River. Now, now, if you've ever been to Prague, that's a really impressive feat. The river's really fucking wide, and if it's from the top of a fucking hill, this is one impressive horse. I've seen other versions of the story where actually land the, the horse lands in the river and swims across. Um, so, yeah. Uh, after rescuing its owner from, obviously, the obvious death sentence, the, the horse... Um, had used all its strength, Semic had used all its strength and endurance and things to, to make this jump. And unfortunately, the end was nigh. But the horse turned to Horimir and asked, for a, asked him to build himself a tomb. So Semic turned to Horimir and asked, Can you build me a tomb to honour me for the amazing jump and feat that I did to rescue you? Um, and so he did. And so there is there is a tomb... Um, somewhere within Prague uh, to honour um, Simic the horse. And there is actually a statue of Horimir and Simic um, within the gardens of the, or sorry, within the, the park of Verisrad Park um, on one side of, of the river. I have one final short thing to talk about um, and I think this is kind of cool. Uh, so having been to Prague many times, I've seen little hints about this kind of what you see little hints about this all over the city, especially if you kind of look at the um, one of the other things that Prague is famous for, which is a very potent alcohol known as absinthe. And there's a few very, very interesting looking bars that have kind of alchemical equipment within them. What I'm going to talk about is the last little bit. It's only a very short bit. Um, I may look into this again at some point uh, if I ever look at kind of alchemy and stuff in one of my podcasts. But yeah, so the final bit of lore is about a little street known as Golden Lane. It's a small little side street up near the the main castle um, on top of the hill, and it's full of quaint little houses. Um, compared to the, like the rest of Prague, these are little quaint, small, brightly painted houses. It, it's kind of got a very Harry Potter feel to it. Um, but legend has it um, that it's got its names from the alchemists who worked for King Rudolf II of Austria in like the 1600s or so in their never-ending search for the transmuta- transmutation of base metals into gold and the search for the philosopher's stone and the elixir of Luth and Luth, the elixir of youth and things like that. So it's a, it's it's not it's a really kind of cool little street and you can still it's a it's a tourist area now and you can go there and you can go into the buildings and things and you can see all these really cool little weird old alchemical um, contraptions like Bunsen burners and bottles and all sorts of weird shit. It's kind of cool, but um, unfortunately, it's actually a little bit of folklore that we do know a little bit about and uh, we know where the name comes from. And unfortunately, it's got nothing to do with the alchemists. We do know that there were alchemists within within Prague at the time, uh, but they were based within the castle itself, and they lived within the castle itself. 
on this street got its name from um, where you'd expect a place called um, Golden Street to get its name from. It got its names from the 17th century uh, from a load of goldsmiths who lived on the street. I'd rather go with the alchemists and their hunt for gold, but it's still kind of like a nice cool little story about a little street. Uh, and there are some kind of cool stories about the alchemists and things within Prague floating around kind of talking about weird magics there's um in one of the parks i can't remember the name of the park but if you kind of climb up it's when you go up the hill to the one of the towers it's the one which has got the um the railway on it or something um you, you walk up there there's this bizarre house halfway up it in this park that's home to an artist who's absolutely mental it's absolutely brilliant and insane does his fantastical like 1970s LSD induced dark fantasy weird oil paintings absolutely phenomenal and the the kid who runs it who's there I think it's just the kid of the artist I don't know proper fucking weird I'm I truly recommend going I, I I'll try and remember the name of it and if I do I'll put it in the show notes or something I'll talk about it next next time um but it's proper amazing um but yeah cool anyway so there is a lot more within Prague itself. There's a lot more history and a lot more weird culture and folklore and uh, occultism and stuff within Prague itself. There's even an amazing university that is um, Johannes Kepler was in. So part of my research, Johannes Kepler discovered Keplerian orbits and stuff and, and things and something that I know about there. So there's it's got a, a lot of connections to a lot of things. And you can really delve into Prague. It's absolutely phenomenal as a place. So I hope I've given you a, a cool little glimpse into Prague on a on a couple of different levels there. So it's history, some of its folklore, and some of the stories within the city itself. Um, and I will come. I will most definitely come back to Prague at some point and and talk about it and look at it in a different way. Because there's um things like a ha- there's there's a haunting violin sound coming from the the old castle prison. There's a story of of a weird silverfish, and um. Not technically within Prague, but in the the countryside north of Prague, there is a church built on the entrance to hell, which is a really cool little story or kind of building to talk about. Obviously, you've also got just around the corner in Hungary, you've got Transylvania and shit like that. So you've got all sorts of weird, spooky stuff kind of happening around there. Anyway, I'm rambling on again. So that's it for this episode. um, And I do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Please do let me know. So there's multiple ways that you can let me know. Uh, probably the best ways to let me know is you go f- give me a follow on Spotify, give me a follow on Apple Podcasts, give me a follow on Podbean. One of the best ways if you have Apple Podcasts is give me a review, give me a like and, and like give me a, a, a rating on the stars, leave me a comment on there. Please, please, please do. I'd love to, to see how many people actually listen to this thing. I do I do have stats from Podbean, um, which tells me how many people are listening. One, it's kind of depressing. But please, please do share and share a like. Um, I know today's was a... Well, this episode was a little bit different to usual. I kind of enjoyed it, kind of more delving into the, the discussive topics rather than actually telling the stories. Um, I'm kind of rambling on and making this a bit longer than I was expecting it to. But anyway, so yeah, you, um, go give me a like, give me a share. I do have a YouTube channel where I tell the first half of the, the the podcast live i do on twitch and then upload it to youtube i then edit out all the fuck-ups on that and do it up on a podcast 
which is this, which is your, what you're listening to. But yeah, you can find me also over on Twitter at the Drunken Store One, and that's the Drunken Store, and Store is S T O R, and then the number one. I'm on Facebook as the Drunken Storyteller, and you can email me at the Drunken Storyteller UK at gmail.com. So that's where I am. Um, I'm also on another podcast uh, uh, called Darker Days Radio, and we talk about horror themed RPGs and all sorts of kind of horror-y, spoopy stuff over there. I've said on a couple of episodes as well before that I'm going to be part of the Virtual HorrorCon. Now, there's some really cool news up on this um, that I'm now allowed to talk about. I'm going to be on a folklore panel for Virtual HorrorCon. UK time, it's 6.30pm on Sunday the 22nd of February 2021 where me and a couple of people will be talking about the themes and and motives of folklore. And one of those guys is Mark from the Folklore Podcast. As in, yes, the big folklore podcast. I am so excited to be on this podcast uh, on this panel with him and, and, and get to chat chat with him about some really cool folklore stuff. So yeah, I'll be doing that. Um I'm also gonna be running two games. Um, I, I was mentioning that I was going to be doing three, but I'm only going to be doing two um, if people buy tickets for it. So I'm going to be doing a, a Chronicles of Darkness God Machine, kind of like sci-fi body horror stuff uh, game. And I'm going to be running a game of Vesson, which is Nordic mythology horror, folk horror stuff, but based in Scotland rather than Scandinavia. Um, tickets for those, those two games are on sale over at virtualhorrorcon.com. And I'm also going to be doing a mini painting workshop with Chris from Darker Days Radio. Again, tickets for that workshop are available at virtualhorrorcon.com. So uh, you can, again, find out more information about all the other stuff about Virtual Horrorcon over at www.virtualhorrorcon.com and the Darker Days Radio social media and Gehenna Gaming social media. There's like panels on occultism and black magic and things as well going on. So it's not all about gaming. There is some other stuff going on in there as well. So do, do go check it out. Um, And it should be really, really cool. I'm really excited for the panels and workshops and hopefully the games if people buy tickets for it. But yeah, cool. Anyway, I'm going to sign off for for this episode. Uh, My my drink has nearly run dry. Uh, My throat is very, very dry. Um... And I do hope you enjoyed it, and please let me know. So um, I will say thank you, and goodbye, my friends.